When you're the parent of a child who's different, you can attract a lot of attention. Whether your child's difference is how they look, walk, talk, or behave, and whether the attention is negative or positive, it can be a little exhausting to have all eyes on you so much of the time. Many times when we leave the house, whether Betty is in her wheelchair, her gait trainer, her go-to seat, or some other contraption that shouts special needs or disability, it's easy to feel like all eyes are not only on her, but also me. Today, I'm sharing the story of Mary Evelyn Smith and her family. She has so much insight about this very thing, always feeling the need to look open, kind, and happy in an effort to change how the world perceives disability. She's relatable, fun, and hilarious. You do not want to miss this one. So please stay with us. In January of 2013, my baby girl Betty was born. Later, we discovered a chromosomal deletion that would affect the rest of her life. I created this podcast to share the stories and struggles of special needs children and their families. This is episode 17 of Bringing Up Betty. I'm Sarah Evans. Mary Evelyn Smith hails from a combination of California and Tennessee. Her husband Greg and she, both English majors, met in London on study abroad. They fell in love, got married in 2009, and settled in Ohio, where her husband pursued a PhD at Ohio State. They had been married for three years when they found out they were expecting a little boy. As it goes with most prenatal diagnoses, the 20-week ultrasound was where they got the news of what Mary Evelyn calls their new normal. We found out that Simeon had spina bifida at our 20-week ultrasound. And up until then, things had been really calm. Um, I had a really easy pregnancy. Nothing exciting had happened. Um, And when we went in for the anatomy scan, the doctor... uh, is the one at, I know that a lot of times it's, it's the ultrasound tech that does the, um, the scans, but our, um, OB was the one actually doing the scan when they found that something was going on, which in some ways was nice. Cause I didn't have that awkward, stressful, like where the tech won't tell you what's going on and kind of leaves the room really quietly and comes back with the doctor. It was just bam. We kind of found out right then. Um, And I remember she said, she kind of got quiet, and then she said, I I think I'm seeing some things that are, you know, that concern me. And I asked if it was the shape of his head, because when I looked at the ultrasound screen, she was, it was like a top-down view of his head, and the shape of it just looked a little different to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, which I found out later that that's, a lot of times, even though spina bifida, we think of it as like a, a... birth effect that occurs on the spine, which it is, but one of the side effects is hydrocephalus, water on the brain. So you, it changes the shape, a little bit of the shape of the head, not just the hydrocephalus, but there's something else called Chiari malformation that kids with spina bifida have that it just kind of, the position of the brain brain is a little different. 
Um, and so the shape of the head looks different and they call it the lemon sign because the brain looks like it's shaped kind of like a lemon, <laughs> um, which they don't look that way when they come out. I mean, his head looks, does not look like a lemon now that he's, you know, not in my uterus, but <laughs> at the time it did. And so, um, she said yes and kind of said that it looked like something called spina bifida, which at the time I really couldn't remember what that was. I know I had heard of it, but I could not remember what exactly that meant. It was kind of just a surreal moment. And I didn't cry. I mean, I I cried, but I didn't cry then. I think I just kind of sat there. And I just remember thinking, stay calm. There's no reason to get upset until you know for sure that this is actually true. So just like hold off on getting upset and just take some deep breaths and just like wait until you know exactly what's going on and then have a reaction. She sent us to the um, maternal field medicine high risk OB straight from her office. And I think I, I knew it was a big deal, but I don't think I realized how big of a deal it was until as we were leaving the office, she asked us numerous times if we were okay to drive or if we wanted someone to come and pick us up and drive us to the um, high-risk doctor. And she said sometimes when people get this news, they have a hard time driving safely. That sounded really intense to Mary Evelyn. And that's when she began to realize. That sounds really intense and serious. Like, I And I think at that point I was like, oh my gosh, something really big is happening. Like, I don't quite know what it is or understand, but something really big is happening to us right now. So yeah, then we went to the um, high-risk doctor and they kind of confirmed everything. I mean, it's so weird because we were both just kind of like, we were both just really quiet. Um and really quiet, really calm. I asked what was go- what it was, and then I asked for more details. Once we knew that he like officially had spina bifida, I asked him, the doctor like what that meant, what that looked like. Um, and spina bifida is such there's such a range with the diagnosis. I mean, there are kids who walk with braces. There are kids who use wheelchairs. There are kids. Um, who walk with almost no bracing. There are kids with, who walk with a ton of bracing. They can have, you know, a lot. It's very uncommon, but they can have, you know, a need for a trach or a feeding tube, um, although that's that's pretty uncommon. There's just, it's such a range, and so they really couldn't tell us a whole lot. Um, they could just kind of tell us the range. He could do this or he could do that. It was just such a, a big range. And I, I do remember asking the doctor, like, why it happens, and kind of the stock answer for spina bifida is that it happens because of a combination of environmental and genetic factors, which just to me sounds like they just don't know why it happens. And, you know, I asked if there was anything I had done, and, you know, you just, you think all of these different things. And at that point, they put us in a room with the genetic counselor, um, I think because we didn't have an appointment. So I think they just had other people to see, like they didn't, they needed to put us somewhere. So they put us in a room with her and I, 
I just remember she pulled out this book and showed us a picture of a little boy with spina bifida. When because I asked like, what do these kids look like? And she pulled this picture out and it just had, it was old. It was like from the sixties. Like she, I think she needed some like updated resources, but she pulled out this picture from the sixties and it had this little boy in black and white in this like little like Sunday church outfit, little suspenders. And he had leg braces on and was standing with like uh, arm crutches on like in a field and he was really cute. And I just remember thinking like, okay, like, I can do that. I, I can, I think I can do that. Because I think when you find out your kid has a disability, it's like, it's like, it, you, it's like, it's so foreign if you don't, especially if you don't know anyone with a disability who's very close to you, you don't have any family members with like a physical disability or like kind of like very real differences like that. And so you feel kind of like, like your baby feels very other at first. I feel like that sounds strange to say, but like your baby is part, is a member of a minority that you are not a member of. So it feels like, like it takes a a little bit to process that and to learn I mean you feel like you have to like learn about this this group of people that your child is is a part of that you hasn't really been a part of your own life before when they got home from the appointment they began to process the news and let their family members know um, and then when we got home from the doctor uh, we don't have any family in town so we called um, my dad and his wife and kind of let them know what was going on. And they came to town and while we waited for them to come to town, it was kind of like we knew like we weren't going to be able to really take care of ourselves or hold down the fort very well for a little bit. So we called, you know, people who we knew would, would come and feed us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they, they came and while we waited, it took like, you know, maybe three or four hours before they arrived and I just remember he was really quiet. I was really quiet on the couch. And I I went, I, he kind of disappeared for a while. And I, I went and found him in the other room. And he was, he was really broken up about it. I think we, we, you know, you just don't, you don't expect something like that to ever happen to you. It didn't take long for that disconnection to creep in. So as soon as they got home from the appointment, they named their baby. They chose the name Simeon. I was feeling really, really disconnected from my baby and especially, you know, and you hear people say like, you grieve the child that you thought you were going to have. But I think there really is some truth to that. Like you can't help but imagine, like I was imagining a kid who could walk and run and would do these very specific mother and son things or mother and child things that were going to look really different for him. So to it felt like a stranger all of a sudden um, that I was carrying. And so I, I think we really, it was really important to me that we give him a name as soon as possible just to help me process a little bit better and reconnect. Um, so we named him Simeon when we got home. Yeah, it just makes a big difference. 
because it's one thing I feel like when you, especially if you're pregnant, when you get your diagnosis, it's really hard not to just feel like you're pregnant with the diagnosis. Right. Like I am having spina bifida. <laughs> My spina bifida is due I in May. <laughs> like you really just start like, <laughs> it's very, very hard to get back to like, you know, this is, you know, your baby and it's, it's the same. And I think that's, that was helpful for me too, especially with like Simeon's diagnosis or, you know, any diagnosis that happens so early because kids with spina bifida, spina bifida usually develops around the 28th day of pregnancy, which is so, so early. I mean, that's like before your baby, like it's, it's so early, basically like my kid had spina bifida before he had fingernails, which is helpful for me to think about because I, there's no like, what if it had been different or what if like, no, this is the way it was. He's always been this way. This is how he's always been meant to be. And so began the Smith's prenatal journey of learning everything they could about what their son's life might be like. We, we did a lot of research um, and we did a lot of like, I mean, we, there aren't a, there's not a whole lot of like books and resources out there. Um, I found that there are like, for whatever reason, certain disabilities that there were like a lot of books about, like a lot of books about raising a child or having a child with Down syndrome. A lot of books about autism was like all over the Barnes and Noble was like really stocked up on the autism books. But Spina Bifida, there was like, I maybe found, um, we found one on Amazon, one or two on Amazon that we read. But one of the biggest resources we had was we, um, we looked up to see if there was a local spina bifida organization in our area. And there is. Um, and so we went to one of their, um, get togethers that they had. There was like a, a lecture that they had. Um, we weren't even terribly interested in the lecture, but it was really helpful to meet other families and it was, I'm so glad we did it because by the time Simeon was born, anytime we ran into a complication or something that was confusing, we already had like this little community of, of local people who we could text or call and kind of get, get help from as far as navigating some of that really early stuff. When your child has a diagnosis, it's easy to get swallowed up in the information. That's exactly what happened to Mary Evelyn. So much so that there were a few things that took a backseat to becoming a spina bifida expert. So I, by the time he came, I felt really prepared. So prepared that I panicked a little when we went home from the NICU because I realized I'd spent so much time reading about spina bifida that I had neglected to read anything about how to take care of like an actual baby. (laughs) So I was like, I don't know how to feed this baby. I don't know how often it should sleep. I don't know how much it should eat or what it should eat. Like if you ask me anything medical, I could totally do it. I can like take care of the wound on his back because they have to sew up, um, the, the opening on their back that they're born with when they have spina bifida. I'm like, I can totally like, I can change dressings. I can do like little, um, calfing procedures or anything like that, but I don't know how to actually feed this baby. (laughs) So I had to, I had to get that straightened out. But Mary Evelyn's daughter, Frances, they call her Franny was born last year in 2015. She's healthy typically developing and pretty much turned Mary Evelyn's world as a mom upside down. You know, it's really hard and it's gotten easier, but I think 
I think part of what was hard is that I was so, I, all along the way, I've been pretty good at predicting how I will feel. I feel like before something happens, I think, oh, I bet I'll feel this way when that happens. And I'm usually right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I feel like with Franny, I was not prepared for like the wave of emotion I would feel after she was born. Um, And a lot of it comes down to like that same, like this, this feeling of like missing something really important Um, or not even important, but missing something that really special. And I think that until Franny was born, I didn't realize how difficult some of the things we went through with Simeon were um, because I really just didn't have a comparison. I knew it was hard. It's not that I thought it wasn't hard. I think I just kind of told myself like, yes, this is harder than, than it might be otherwise if he didn't have spina bifida, but all babies are hard. So, you know, babies are just hard. That's just kind of the way life is. And then they get older and they, it gets easier. Um, but when Franny was born, I don't think I realized just how kind of that after having a baby, that feeling of like calm and peace and just like all is right with the world that you kind of get right after your baby's born. I, I didn't know that that was a thing. And so it made me really look back on my early days with Simeon and feel this combination of like sadness at that, that Simeon and I didn't have that because he was in the NICU and having surgery and I was really strung out because it was all so new and kind of scary. Um, and also feeling like this weird, um, this guilt, this like guilty feeling because I felt like maybe I hadn't tried hard enough to make it special and calm with Simeon because I was in this adjustment phase. Um, and then I also at the same time felt this weird jealousy. Like I felt like I was split in two, like I was two different people. And the mom that I was when Simeon was a new baby was like still in me feeling all of this jealousy towards the mom that I was now that I had Franny. Um, which is strange because when I had Simeon, I didn't look at moms of, of typical kids that way. I didn't look at moms who had typical kids and feel jealous or angry that it hadn't gone that way for me. I mean, I loved Simeon and I, I, I didn't feel the jealousy that I felt towards myself when Franny was born. It was very, very strange. Um, but it's gotten easier. And I think, I think part of there, you know, there are lots of reasons it got easier, but I think part of it is hormones. <laughs> Get yeah. Back to normal. Like the, the post baby hormones have like adjusted themselves. Um, and I also think they're just different people, you know, like, Franny's life isn't going to be just like Simeon's life and my relationship with Franny isn't going to be exactly like my relationship with Simeon because they are two different people and I've gotten more okay with that. And I've, I've gotten better about when Franny ha- hits a milestone, not, not automatically thinking about what that milestone looked like for Simeon. 
Because at first I would, like when she would, when she first sat up, I was like, oh my gosh, she just sat up. Like she just up and sat up. I didn't teach her to do it. I didn't (laughs) work with her on a blanket at the park for hours. Like she just sat up. And it was something that Simeon and I had worked on together for so long to teach him to sit that seeing her do it with such ease brought me this combination of excitement for her and like immediate like grief about how long my son had had to work to do the same thing. Um, and so, but I, and I think there will be things like that all along the way. Like when she walks, I think it will be really like a real mixed bag of feelings when Franny walks. Um, but uh, you know, otherwise I, I feel like I've been able to kind of take a deep breath and cool it a little bit on the, you know, getting in, in my head too much about that. Typically developing siblings can bring such a unique perspective to parents who are also raising a child with disabilities. When I think about the possibility of having another child, it is strange to think that a future baby will likely catch up to and then surpass Betty in development. Well, and it it's hard too, because you feel like I think it is hard when you hit that point, like you said, surpass her like forever. I think there is a strange, it's a, it's a strange feeling when you like get to the end of the progress, if that makes sense. Like I, like when Simeon got his wheelchair and not because I feel like the wheelchair is the end of progress for Simeon, it was like freedom and wonderful. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time I ever saw him really explore. And it was like the most wonderful thing. Um, but I do remember thinking like, Oh, we were working on rolling over just like other babies roll over. And then we were working on sitting up just like other babies sit up. And then we were working on crawling like other babies crawl. And then we did a wheelchair like, And it was the right, it's what he needed and it was the right thing, but it was strange to come to the like, oh, we don't need to work on, like there's nothing we're working on when it comes to getting around. Yeah. You know, like we've come to like the, this is like, just like other babies walk and then you're like, yeah, you walked, that's like the end of the line as far as your mobility. Yeah. Um, And for Simeon, it was, it was strange for sitting was the end of the line when it came to to mobility. There are so many parts of this parenting gig that you just can't anticipate. And so many parts of parenting a child with special needs seem to just magnify those experiences and struggles even more. One of those is discovering just how intertwined who we are as parents is with who our children are. I really think that having a a child with a disability becomes a really big part of your identity as a mother. And so for me, since Simeon was my first, I had never been the mother of a typically developing baby. And so a lot of how I thought of myself as a mom and how I saw myself was, you know, as the mom of a a kid who was different. And it was hard for me to adjust to being the mom of a kid that was like a lot of other kids as far as development. It felt like, I felt like when Simeon was born, I had this big like shift in how I viewed myself. Um, 
and then when Franny was born, it all shifted again because I, you know, it changed. I don't know. It's like my identity changed all over again. The first few times I went out with Franny um, and Simeon didn't come, like Franny and I went to the mall or Franny and I went to get coffee and I, it was, I felt like I had this like secret, like I would, like I'd walk around with Franny and I was, no one would really look at us other than to like maybe stop and say cute baby, but like we didn't get any more attention than any other mom with a baby would get. And with Simeon, when we go out, we get a lot of attention when we go out. Um, and, you know, and it's not always, you know, great, but it's it's fine. It's whatever. We're kind of used to it. But it was strange <clears throat> to go out with Franny and not get all of that extra attention. And it made me feel like, like, oh, this is all very normal and it's nice and I it's kind of nice to go out and be a little incognito but I definitely felt like I seem I probably look like a regular mom but no one knows that at home I have a different kid and if I was out with that kid people wouldn't look at me as a regular mom they would know that I'm actually like a quote special needs mom who's like you know different I don't know yeah. does that make sense it totally and it's not does. like I thought like oh I'm better it, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't like a, a haughty prideful thing at all it was just very much like you know like it's weird for someone to stop and be like oh is she crawling yet how's she sleeping through the night just because the questions with Simeon were really different like yeah. the questions we got with Simeon was how's he doing uh-huh. okay <laughs> it was just so different so I felt like Oh, they're all talking to me like, like I'm normal, but <laughs> yeah, I thought I'm, I'm not normal. Feeling I'm not normal, you guys. Stop being so normal to me. You have no idea how not normal we are. <laughs> <laughs> I think anytime you go through something that any kind of grief re- related to anything, there is this feeling you know, which you hear people say when someone dies, like, how does the world go on? Right. And you do kind of feel that way a little bit because you, you know, you go out and you're out in public and you're, you know, you chat with people. Or I can remember when Simeon was first born and he had just gotten um, a few, well, I think it was a few months after he was born, he actually did have to have a trach. And he had his trach for two years. And I remember right after he got his trach, he had to be sedated for about a week so it could heal properly. And he was in the PICU. And my husband and I um, went out one day and my mother-in-law sat with Simeon and we went out to like a, like a jazz and ribs festival that was <laughs> locally here in Columbus, um, just because it was close by and we hadn't been out of the hospital in a while. And I just remember as we would like sitting on like on the grass eating ribs and all these people were walking by and I just thought wow none of these people know that like I just look like a normal person sitting here on the grass at the jazz and ribs festival but like I have a baby in the PICU who just got like 
a hole put in his neck. Like I just, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Like how is everyone just walking by like everything's normal? And I like, it felt like I had this big secret um, that like no one knew. And there's a part of me that like wanted to tell everyone, which I didn't because that would be very (laughs) off-putting. But (laughs) I like, you know, I'd like order my ribs and they'd be like, how are you? And I wanted to be like, I'm fine, but you would not believe the month I've had. (laughs) 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 but yeah when Mary Evelyn left the house without Simeon she felt like she had this huge secret she was keeping from the world when she went out with Simeon well that is an entirely different situation or spectacle at least that's how it feels sometimes so Simeon I I I think that a lot of times when your kid is is visibly different you get a lot of different kinds of interactions with strangers, whether they are like verbal discussions with strangers or just a lot of looking. Um, it just happens. And I, I know and I am thankful that we are on, like, we just tend to fall on a really positive side of interactions with strangers because, um, just because of the type of differences Simeon has. Simeon is so cute. He's so cute. I know. He's so cute. You're allowed to say that. (laughs) I'm just gonna, let me be honest. He's freaking adorable. So he, um, because he is so cute, um, and he does not, he also doesn't look to most people. He doesn't look like when they imagine a kid who has a disability. He's not visibly different in any of like his features or anything like that. Um, and so I think because of that, I, cause I have friends who have kids who, um, are their you know, the, their disability is they're more medically fragile or the, the way they look is more, you know, outside the norm of what you, you know, expect to a child to look like. And they get very different reactions that unfortunately, um, and it, just breaks my heart to think about, but there are, can be more negative sometimes. Um, and we don't get that. We get the other side of it, which is just a lot of constant attention from, um, people. And I think um, there's so many really great, funny examples. We went to the mall once. This is my favorite example of just like the, the gravity of how, like the frequency of the attention that we get. We went to the mall and Sim was in his wheelchair. And as we were wheeling, um, we were meeting a friend for lunch and we, um, as we were wheeling, we stopped at an escalator. He like went through this escalator time where he wanted to touch the handrails <laughs> of every escalator. Cause you know how they move, like they move in this continuous like belt yeah. of like the handrail. It was like like mesmerizing to him. So we see it, and I'm like, oh, gosh, we're going to have to stop. So I told him we could stop one minute. You can touch the handrail for one minute, um, which is like a creepy parent thing you never think you will have to say. Like, yes, you can, ru- you can rub that handrail for one minute, and then you have to be all done. <laughs> so we sat, and he's like touching the handrail and like watching it go around mesmerized. And um, I turned, and I looked over my shoulder, and the entire Sparrow's pizza line, like there were probably 15 or 20 people in line for pizza at Sparrow's. They were all watching us, including the people working, had stopped serving pizza. They were all <laughs> watching Simeon 
and just like beaming, just like smiling ear to ear and nudging each other. Like, can you believe that? Check him out. Look at that kid. Look at those wheels. I mean, it was just a lot. Um, so Simeon kind of finished uh, um, his his escalator situation and we went to um, to get lunch. And when we went in, there was a long line and we met my friend and the whole way we were waiting in line, the two ladies behind us were asking questions about Simeon and talking to Simeon. When we got up to the front of the line, the man in front of us handed Simeon his credit card and let Simeon pay for his lunch. Um, so like, here, buddy, do you want to pay for my lunch? Hand the credit card to the lady and, you know, let him like, you know, pretend to sign the receipt, like just like just kind of over the top, like friendliness to my toddler. Um, and then after that, we ordered, I pulled Simeon to the side. And when I went to fill up my drink, a man stopped me and put his arm around me and told me that I'm an amazing mother. And then we walked to our seat um, with people ooing and aahing the whole way. And when we got to our table, they brought us a free cookie. <laughs> oh it was just like, it was just such a like amazing, just like, like one thing after another, this like barrage of like positive attention. Having a lot of attention can be so nice, but also exhausting. It's very funny and it's very sweet. Um, and it's, it's, it can be a hard thing sometimes because it can be really exhausting. And I feel, I, I was saying, I think I maybe wrote something or maybe I was talking about it, just about how tiring it can be to have eyes on you all the time because you really feel like you need to be very on. Um, I told my husband, I don't, think I've, I don't think I've frowned in public in three years. I just, because everywhere we go, people are looking at Simeon and then they look at me and then they look at Simeon. I just feel like I always need to be smiling because I know someone's looking at me. Um, and so it, I had someone asked like, well, that does sound exhausting. What do you prefer people do? Like, how would you like to be treated when you're in public? And the truth is, I don't expect anyone to do anything differently than what they're already doing. I don't think, I don't think it is fair to ask people to pretend they don't see something that is novel when it walks in front of them. I just don't think that, or rolls in front of them, I should say. But I, I just don't think that that would be a fair request. I mean, I went to the farmer's market last week, and there was a woman there who was so tall. I've never seen someone so tall in all my life. And I, she walked by, and I looked, and then I realized she was so tall, and I kind of looked again, and then looked away, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is what people do when they, when they see us. This is what it feels like. Um, and if someone had told me, don't, don't look at her, I would have thought, how, how in the world am I supposed to not look? I, I think it's very human um, to, to turn and look at something that's, that's novel and different. And I don't mean staring with your mouth open and making rude faces. I just mean, you know, looking and looking again. Um, and I, so I, it's one of those strange things where no one's doing anything wrong. No one's doing anything that they shouldn't be doing. In fact, people are being incredibly kind. Um, but that doesn't mean that sometimes it's not a little, a little tiring. <laughs> I think part of why the comments and reactions can be so exhausting is because the work of just caring for our kids can be so tiring. 
Spina bifida can mean paralysis, hydrocephalus, surgeries, pressure sores, and bowel and bladder issues. It is a lot of work. I always say that having a kid with spina bifida is like buying a really old home because it's got a lot of character, but there's also just a lot of upkeep, (laughs) like a lot of maintenance, but you've got like a really cool house that like not anyone can have a house like this. It's like a pretty sweet house with a lot of character, but just, you know, a lot of, you just got to do a lot of repairs, keep an eye on it, keep it in tip top shape. (laughs) Smith is a school librarian, blogger, and mother. She lives in Columbus, Ohio with her husband and their two children. You can find her on the web at whatdoyoudodear.com. Today's episode was recorded and produced by me, Sarah Evans. Thank you so much for listening and sharing the show with your friends, neighbors, therapists, doctors, and other parents. Please continue to spread the word. You can find notes on today's show at bringingupbetty.com slash 17. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.